Welcome to the Impact Roadmap, a podcast designed to give you the practical, concrete steps to grow your nonprofit or future forward business in a sustainable way. I'm your host, Joey Goon. Let's get into the episode. Hey friends, my name is Joey Goon and uh, welcome to the Impact Roadmap podcast. I'm here today with two wonderful friends from Cultural Leadership and I uh, can't wait for the conversation with them. Super excited to have both of you in the studio today. So thank you so much for joining me and, uh, and Lachlan, who is the Switch uh, master and editor behind the scenes here. Um, <laughs> switching cameras, of course. <laughs> and uh, so, so Tamika Perrine is the CEO and executive director of Cultural Leadership. And for over 10 years, she has worked to help organizations realize and achieve their mission and their annual goals um, and their strategic initiatives. And she's a leader who is committed to ensuring that there are equitable opportunities and um, and diversity, and those things exist within nonprofits and uh, and organizations. And uh, Stephanie is also with Cultural Leadership. She is a WashU grad. Shout out to uh, to David Webb, who's on our team, who is a former WashU professor. I know he would really respect and admire you as a former, as a, as a um, who's also an alumni mm-hmm. of WashU. And you recently graduated from WashU. You're very passionate about social change and being a social, you know, a social change advocate. So you found a home at Cultural Leadership, and um, yeah, and, and feel free to color in. What did we miss? What are the things that your bios did not cover that you think would be very helpful for our audience to know about why you do what you do? Um, I would like to add that during my time at WashU, I actually, that's when I found out that I, when I realized that I was so passionate about social change, actually starting off, um, and I get a lot of pushback about this, but I started off as a chemical engineering major. And um, as things kind of rose um, around social justice in St. Louis, closer to my junior year, around 2017, um, that's when I decided to switch to African and African American studies and um, minor in legal studies. Felt like that would give me a better foundation to actually make change in the St. Louis area. Um, so I graduated with um, with that degree. And three years later, here I am at Culture Leadership, doing exactly what I kind of dreamed. So. That's amazing. Yeah, and you were a graduate of the cultural leadership program as well, too. I, yes, exactly. Which paved I, um, the path, I'm sure. I, yep, I graduated in, I participated in class nine of cultural leadership. So that was about nine years ago now. Um, I will definitely say cultural leadership helped um, me with my leadership skills, my um, public speaking skills. It also made me see that I needed to kind of stick around and help um, make make change for the better, I think, in St. Louis. That's when I realized that um, schools were, public schools were funded in such a disproportionate way, and there was no one really working to change that. Um, that's something that I'm so very passionate about and would like to have a chance to help change. Um, yeah, I'll say about my experience. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Stephanie. Of course. Tamika, how about you, my friend? What are the details? Tell us a little bit more about you and the details that, uh, that your bio did not cover. Yeah, so... Um, you covered, I think, quite a bit. My my upbringing was here in St. Louis, and I am passionate and dedicated to ensuring we have, um, like you said, a more equitable um, region. And that is what kind of drives the work that I currently do and have been doing for a number of years. I think that St. Louis gets a bad rap a lot of times um, and because there's so many beautiful opportunities here and some amazing people. And so I really want to make us a more marketable region and make one, make it a region that, um, that people are, are proud to say they're a part of, um, and that people want to really come to, 
to be a part of and raise families in and grow in. What do we need to do in order to get there? Oh, gosh. I know that's that's a... Maybe we bring this guy to the streets because that is a, a big a big mm-hmm. question, and I think that there is a lot that needs to go into, you know, bringing that, you know, mm-hmm. into the world and into the community. Um, but maybe what are one, two, or three things that we could do as community advocates and change agents to ensure that that change happens in our lifetimes? Yeah. So um, I think that that obviously part of part of the the negative press that St. Louis gets is surrounding the racial divide that we have here. And I think working actively to bridge that racial divide and um, that will certainly help us take strides, but we have to come together as a community to be willing and open to do that and start having conversations, um, which is why kind of we do the work that we, we do. Um, I also think that as our current mayor in the city of St. Louis um, is doing is kind of pouring resources into historically under-resourced communities um, that'll also do a great deal in in kind of bridging the gap and, and ensuring equity in the region. I think supporting others who are open to doing the work um, will also be big and support could look a lot of different ways, um, financial support to nonprofits that are that are working in that way, uh, volunteering with nonprofits and organizations, um, going out and actually voting for people who want to uh, make sustainable change, make better change for the St. Louis region. We had an election yesterday, and um, there, you know, the results are the results, but the voter turnout was not as great as it could have been. Um, it was as good as I think 2020, but it could have been even better. Um, and I think what actually probably drove some people say the increase is the marijuana piece on the ballot. But um, I think if people put a lot of energy into understanding and um, supporting elected officials locally, not just nationally, because it's the local officials that that really drive our everyday, what happens in our everyday lives, not really the national government, the federal government rather, um, that'll also do a great deal. What is something that you would want our audience to know about you? Personally? Per- yeah, personally, professionally, whatever you feel called to share. Cause we we dove so far into the weeds so quickly. I think I just want to like pull, pull the back. lens back a little <laughs> bit and like get to know you as human beings. That might be helpful too for, mm-hmm. our, for our audience. It's, Okay, I'll start. Um, So again, I was born and raised here in St. Louis and I went to college in Alabama um, and then moved back home. And initially my my degree was in psychology and I planned on working with children um, and realized fairly quickly that I didn't have the ability to disconnect myself in a way that would make me successful in that kind of work. And so um, I transitioned into kind of a different industry, which led me to realizing that mission-based work is what fed me. And so um, I've been doing that work kind of ever since. Um, And I think that realizing my passion and my passion for St. Louis, the the place that raised me, and seeing the potential and what we could be and the beauty and who we are, um, that is at the core of why I do what I do. Um, 
I think that I, like I said, I'm born and raised here, went to St. Louis Public Schools, a product of the St. Louis Public School System, and um, seeing the state that they're in now, um, and just kind of, like Stephanie said, all the things, it has made me passionate about finding ways to make meaningful change and positive change in our region um, and helping us reach our potential. I, you know, that's kind of, that's me who I am at my core. Um, I love helping people. I love being there for people. I love um, helping people reach their potential. Um, and I think I can really help St. Louis get there. Was there, is, was there a catalyst? Like, was there something that happened that was like this dramatic thing in your life that you're like, okay, now I need to get involved and, and be the change that I want to see? Actually, no. Um, so there wasn't any like big thing that happened. Um, as my career was kind of shifting from um, working in psychology to not working in psychology, um, I started working with community and realizing that being able to see the impact on the community was what fed me and that work was what fed me. Um, I work with like local food banks and helping raise money for local food banks, um, helping connect corporations to the communities they served, um, doing that kind of work and really getting in the community and seeing um, seeing the impact of the work that I did. That was, that was what initially kind of lit the fire for me to start doing um, mission-based work. And from then, um, with George Floyd and everything that happened, his murder, that kind of transitioned me um, towards social change. So I guess that, that is obviously a, a big thing. Um, the, the working in the community has been there, but what's pushed me towards um, a focus on social change and, um, and racial equity was, was absolutely that. Mm. You actually, you, um, I just finished a book called, uh, it's, I, think it's, I think it's called Work-Life Balance. The author's What's Matthew. What's that? <laughs> that, and that's the thing is he dispels the whole myth behind work-life balance and he's like and you just you literally just said what he says throughout his entire book and it's that the more you pour into something that you love and you're passionate about mm -hmm. the more it lights your soul on fire mm -hmm. and that's why the whole work-life paradigm is like if you have this whole challenge of like work-life balance perhaps you're not doing the work in the world that you should be doing mm -hmm. so that's really cool to hear that it like lit you on fire so much so that it's like you pour into it it continues to pour back into you what about you give us the backstory um, I am also a product of, um, St. Louis, St. Louis public school. Well, um, I went to a public school and then I actually went to city Academy, which I'm sure some people, um, in the audience have heard of that school. Um, I think that was a great foundation for me. Um, I did graduate from a St. Louis, um, public high school. And that is when I participated in the culture leadership program. Um, just a little bit about that, I will say that is when I recognized that St. Louis is so separated and segregated um, from jobs to education to housing. Um, there's just a lot of disconnect. Um, and I think moving out of my cultural leadership experience and moving into college, um, being able or attending WashU and obviously having a very diverse set of peers um, and professors to interact with, I started to wonder a bit um, why, like why me almost, you know, I, I'd been put in this position to connect with all these people. I'd kind of been seen as one of the students that made it out um, and was doing successful, but not all the people who I grew up with were experiencing the same thing. And I think I'm a person, I'm a connector. Um, I'm pretty gregarious. I'm pretty funny. I can have a conversation with a ton of people. And I think 
that's what's important to me is connecting people and making sure that we start having those conversations. And I think when it comes to St. Louis and as we think about changing anything, it starts with conversations and relationship building. And that's also the facilitator in me coming out a little bit. Um, as far as a, a um, as far as an event that was sort of pivotal for me, um, it was the 2017 um, verdict where um, Jason Stokely was found not guilty. Um, there was a lot of organizing on um, WashU's campus, and I sat there in the women's building right after we had uh, planned to plan something for. Um, planned a demonstration. Um, but I just wondered, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about my um, engineering curriculum. I knew that it was something that I wanted to do. I'd always been told in high school that I was good at it. Um, everyone was like, you're going to make it. You're going to be this great engineer and you're going to have this sort of impact. But I just wasn't seeing it. I didn't feel it in my heart. Um, and that's when I realized it. it was literally at that moment. I'm like, I, I love all of my um, AFAS, African-African-American studies classes. I love my humanities classes. I love my women and gender studies classes. But engineering is just not quite doing it for me. And why is that? And as I talked about it with some trusted professors of mine, um, that's when I decided to switch my major. And it was like the light opened up at the end of the tunnel for me. And I started to see how I could impact St. Louis and I think the world at large with um, the foundation at AFS. And I think so many, so many classes, so many majors, um, whatever you're interested in, I think a root understanding of just communities and diversity will, is important for us as we move forward in the future and just um, look for communities that are interconnected and support each other. Um, I also had the opportunity to study abroad in Dakar, Senegal with my program, and it really showed me just how much um, everyone's perspective and story really matters to us moving forward. Um, they have very similar issues to like what we have in St. Louis when it comes to, you know, people wanting to create a better community for everyone. And um, yeah, I think that if you believe that, you know, you would like to connect with people. If you're someone who likes connecting with people, that is something that is a strength of yours. And if you want to think about, you know, how can I start to make a change in my community? Start by connecting people. Start by listening to other people's stories, getting their opinion, just understanding them. And, you know, maybe maybe you come to us and we can do the rest. But um, I think it's I think it's all rooted in that. And I think getting us out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. We all live in these bubbles. Right. And so venturing outside your bubble and and meeting people that don't look like you mm -hmm. and starting to build a relationship with those people that don't look like you as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's let's talk a little bit more about getting out of the comfort zone as it, as it pertains to scaling and growing a nonprofit, because as an executive director and someone who is, you know, also helping to lead the charge mm -hmm. of, you know, any nonprofit, you, you there's so much that goes into that and you've got to be able to embrace uncertainty and see the need to evolve and change as a blessing. Um, talk to us a little bit about what that means for you. Like maybe take us through what a day in the life of an executive director looks like. <laughs> like. What are all the decisions that you have to make on a daily basis? Because people don't realize running a nonprofit, you know, everybody thinks that it's as easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, not to say that running mm -hmm. a small business is easy. Mm -hmm. It is really hard. But there's also a lot more expectations and pressure put on nonprofit executives mm -hmm. because people think that you know, yeah. you're going to do it at a, 
discount. Mm-hmm. And if you take money, you, you there's shame and you're supposed to do it for the passion. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you need to take care of you. Yeah. Because if you take care of you, you can take care of Everyone others. Right? Absolutely. So take us through like, what does a day in the life of Tamika Perrine look like? I think it's, um, I think for executive directors, it looks different based on um, size of organization. Like we are a team of mighty three. So <laughs> there are three of us um, at our nonprofit and we are um, 18 years old. And so we're working to grow. And so for a team our size, you, we wear many, many hats. So it's literally everything from, you know, preparing for a board meeting to, you know, building our budget to taking out the trash to vacuuming the office to, you know, <laughs> helping with programming to, you know, helping with um, professional development. Like it's, you, you wear kind of all of the hats, like you're yeah. fundraising, you're, you're literally doing all Everything. of the things. Um, and so I think for, for organizations that are the size of ours um, and are growing because we're, because we're growing, um, it's not easy being an executive director and also you're fundraising to keep the lights on um, and to ensure that you can continue to carry on your mission and continue to do the work in the community that is um, life changing, that's impactful. And so it's, you know, it, I have a couple extra gray hairs, you know, since <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been in this role. Um, but I think kind of what I pointed to earlier, being able to see the impact mm-hmm. of the work that I'm doing makes it all worth it. What is, what would you say are the biggest challenges that you all are currently facing as you're scaling your nonprofit? <sighs> um, well, one problem, challenge. Good, good <laughs> challenge that we're having. Um, so in the midst of Tamika um, doing fundraising and connecting with people and taking out trash. Um, She's also done a really great job of, you know, not only making sure that we're sustaining and, um, you know, producing all of our programs at the quality that we expect them, but also connecting with um, community partners to make sure that we're strategically moving forward in an impactful way. Um, And that's the reason why we've been able to um, project so much growth for the next couple of years. we do have a lot of applications. <laughs> so that is definitely one good challenge that we have right now. Um, I will say another challenge of ours just on the programming side is just making sure that um, as we go from year to year and curate our programming, that we are continuing continuing to include things that are impactful to the students and that are current, mm-hmm. um, but also making sure that we approach these in the correct manner. And we don't ever want to tell the students what to think or, you know, impose our own opinions on them. So presenting that information in a way that is unbiased and that we, you know, highlight whatever perspectives are um, present in whatever that issue may be, we have to go and seek those out ourselves. And so maybe sometimes we want to have a conversation, but we want to make sure that everybody who needs to be at the table is at the table. And I think just continuing, continuing to make those um, sort of connections is a bit of a challenge sometimes. Yeah. And I think um, kind of to your point, like with, with organizations that are seeking to grow and as you start making connections and talking to people and building partnerships and building relationships, it's easy for someone to throw something at the wall and you're like, that's a potential funding opportunity. Let me jump on that. Or, you know, you know, let me take you up on that because you're going to give me money for it. But, you know, making sure that you stay true to the work that you do with the mission um, of your organization is vital. Um, we're doing that as we grow to really 
quadruple the number of yeah. um, students that we serve over the next couple of years. But it's easy to just start accepting um, funding for things that don't necessarily fit in your program for the sake of receiving funding. Have you had that issue? Have you had like a donor or somebody on your board who's like, hey, shiny object over here, let's build a this thing that, you know, on this community because it's meaningful for me. And you're like, whoa, 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 that doesn't really align with our mission, our vision, our values. Mm -hmm. Like you've had that happen before? Not in this particular role, but in previous roles I have had that happen. How do you have those conversations? Because you have this individual who feels like they're giving you this gift and you has the executive director and director of development or director of advancement, you have to have those. I, I didn't, ca- is that, is that your technical? I'm your- development manager and senior facilitator. Okay. Got it. Yeah. For, so for, now. A, for now. <laughs> there might be something, something yeah. waiting for you ahead. So how do you have those conversations without robbing these people of the joy that they think they're gifting you? Yeah. I think um, for me, as those situations arose, I would have, you know, honest conversations, but put, kind of the gift into perspective. So say someone wants to donate um, a truck. Like, I think you should take this truck and go to schools and educate them, you know, in schools and blah, blah, blah. Um, Okay, that sounds great. You know, so let's talk about insurance for the truck and what that'll look like. Let's talk about someone having to get a license for being able to drive the truck. What does that look like? Let's talk about like, where are we going to house this truck? And, and so like walking through all of those pieces sometimes yeah. helps the light come on. Like, Oh, maybe, maybe this isn't the best idea. Like let's revisit some other things. So I think having an honest conversation and, and putting things into perspective for the board member, um, helps a yeah. lot when it, when that comes up, I think, well, no, I kind of fibbed. I may have had a conversation. I think, okay, as we start to scale, I think people are excited and they want us to branch out um, in other ways to other cities and do more things and things like that. Um, But I've continued that. I've had this conversation and and I I don't ever shut them down and just say no, Um, but I keep keep the lines of communication open and and always remain respectful um, with them because we need their ideas and we, you know, we are grateful for their ideas and their passion because at the end of the day, they are doing this to help support what you're doing. For sure. Um, and for no other reason. So I think just putting things in perspective has really helped um, pull them back. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. We, um, we were in a workshop yesterday. Um, so our partners Raising Paddles, mm-hmm. um, Shannon Mays, who's now Shannon Eason from Raising Paddles. Shout out to Shannon. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was sharing a little bit about how there was a, a recent experience where a donor offered a live auction item and it was jewelry. And so not really as widely, um, Lachlan, prose master, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, what are you going to say? So it's not very like, narrow. It's very narrow yeah, for who, who, might, would who would want yeah. that gift, opposed to a TV where mm-hmm. everybody in the audience mm-hmm. would bid on yeah, that, right? Yeah. So what they did, instead of saying, no, we can't use this in the live auction, they said, we can get so much more out of this if we put it in a raffle. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then people could buy raffle tickets. Mm-hmm. And it ended up raising $7,000, mm-hmm. this piece of jewelry, because so many people that mm-hmm. wanted the item were able to then buy a raffle mm-hmm. ticket, where in a live auction, it may have only raised a couple hundred, yeah. maybe a thousand. And we've done that before, too. So it's mm-hmm. like, I, th- I love that. It's the simple reframe mm-hmm. of just thinking about alternative ideas that can still make that donor feel even better mm-hmm. about their offer. Yeah, because they, they want to make a good impact. They want 
they want to make a positive impact and do good. And and if you keep that at if you keep that in mind as you have these conversations, then the conversations become easier. Absolutely. Is there a is there a fundraising myth that you like to dispel right here and now? Uh, yes. Um, fundraisers cannot just call Bill and Melinda Gates. Fundraisers cannot just <laughs> reach out to Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. Um, as much as we love and you adore. You don't have that power? We don't. As yeah. much as we love and adore worldwide technology and the stewards and like all these people, like they're not just going to give to you because they live in St. Louis and you need money, yeah. um, which I think a lot of times happen. People are like, just call these people. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not a thing. I'll also say there's there's no magic behind fundraising. It's pure work and um, dedication, cultivation, stewardship. Um, you can say a number, you know, that you would like for an organization or your fundraiser to raise for the year. But you know, if you don't have your donor research behind that, you know, numbers that they've given before and kind of know what ask you're going to make. You don't really know if that number is going to come out. So I would say, you know, just make sure that you have all of that research and you're producing an accurate number from um, what your donor database is. There's there's no magical. Oh, we had we raised two million dollars last year. We're going to make it five this year unless you have some solid sources that those extra millions are coming from. And I think the other piece is like um, making sure that you let the development and fundraising piece help determine the budget as opposed to the programming because you could want a thousand and twelve things but if on the development side you can't fund those things then you're gonna have to pull them back so help your have your development professionals um really determine what realistically the organization can raise in a year and then from that determine what you can do on the programming side or you know on the other side Mm. is there a uh you know we we talked you talked um, quite a bit about, you know, cultivation and how fundraising is, is, you know, it's work. There's a lot that goes into cultivating and building relationships. It's network equity. It's who do you know and who, do, who might they know? Who cares about this? I love the question of what are you trying to accomplish? Like, what are your highest aspirations in life and how can we accomplish those through us here at our organization? I'm curious, like, what's the most impactful conversation that you've ever had with a donor where you asked a question like that or there was a thoughtful follow-up strategy and the donor was like, wow, you really surprised me. Is, is there one instance that really sticks out of like a follow-up strategy that you might have had or? I think when it comes to donors, like what's important always is, con- is connecting them to their passions. And so being able to say, hey, like I went to camp X, Y, and Z as a kid. And, you know, I think that funding camps for kids because it changed my life is, you know, what I, you know, that's what I would really like to do, but I don't know how, like that, you know, that's what the donor says. And then you say, well, actually we, you know, we have some opportunities that kind of match your passion. Um, I think having the opportunity to connect the donors and their passions um, to your work is what makes it all work. Um, And I have had times where I've had conversations with some donors who've said, you know, I've, you know, these things meant so much to me. These experiences meant so much to me growing up. And I just wish that more kids or more people could, you know, experience these things. And then I was able to to make that happen and still stay within the realm of the scope of um, what we did as an organization. Uh, It made everyone feel good at the end of the day. Basically, trying to like summarize is you're inviting people into their joy. Absolutely. You're you're not. And I love one of my mentors shared with me. um, 
you've got like there's there's colleges and universities that teach people how to handle objections mm-hmm. in sales. Stop handling objections. Stop trying mm-hmm. to fight people, like, you know, with something that doesn't align with their highest mm-hmm. like purpose in their lives and what what makes them feel joy. Absolutely. Go and find your second slide customers or your second slide donors, where if you're giving them a PowerPoint presentation and you're saying, here's slide one, slide two is, you know, these are the things we're trying to solve mm-hmm. for. And they say, done, I'm in. That's your second slide customer. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's find more people that will say yes, yeah. that their ideals, their, you know, their values align with yours instead of handling objections yeah. for people that are just going to say no. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a lot more energy enriching that way anyway. It is. <laughs> And it helps you, it helps the no be more palatable Yeah, for the for sure. fundraiser. Because sometimes it can be a little discouraging, but, you know. Um, are, you, are you familiar with Tim Kaczeriak? Mm-mm. Okay. So, uh, Tim. Tell Ka- us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim Kaczeriak is someone that I interviewed last week. So he has a company called Next After, and they do a bunch of data and research around, like, donor decisions. Um, so we can... I can connect you with yeah. him and, you know, you can check out all their, the, the amazing work that they're, they're doing. But I had a pod, I had him on our podcast last week and he was like, you know, sharing a little bit about how when you go to the gas station, the no button is always beaten up and, mm. and used where the yes button is, you know. Interesting. And he's like, you know, so no matter where you go in life, you're much more likely to get no than you are yes, but you've got to fight through those no's. Mm. And here, here, you know, here we are talking about, handling objections. Yeah. The reality is anything that you do in life, it's a numbers game. You've got to sift through the nose to get, mm-hmm. to get those yeses. Yeah. So what do you want to brag about? Like people are afraid of feeling joy because they feel like it's boastful or arrogant, but like we, and I personally feel like people that can't fully experience their joy are dangerous because they don't stop to celebrate the milestones and the little victories, the journey. And it's like the process and the journey is the destination. So fully brag on yourself, no judgment. What is one thing where you're like, like really feeling a ton of joy or just like you're feeling super accomplished as individuals or an organization as a whole? Like, Mm. Um, I think for me, our organization's always been fairly small. Um, but within the last year, I have increased our budget by about 25%, um, as well as am preparing to go from, to, I guess, quadruple the number of students we serve. Um, and we're expanding even further into the community. So the community impact is going to be even greater. Um, and it's something that I think the board has been looking for and wanting and the community has needed for a long time and Finally, we're doing it. And so I think I'm most excited about that. Like the impact on students that we're going to have over the next two years, um, seven through really college students, um, the impact that we're going to have on organizations over the next, you know, two to three years is going to be significant. And I am so excited about that. That's awesome. I am most proud of just how we've been able to create community for the students that we serve. Um, I started facilitating with cultural leadership in about 2018. And just to see how we have our, we're obviously rooted in black and Jewish experiences. um, But of course, we're not going to get the work done unless we have allies. And so um, previously, we didn't highlight as many other identities in our curriculum. But that's something that um, we've definitely um, started to focus on. And as we have done that and have let these students share their stories and just, you know, feel that they have a voice in the space and connect with other students, um, 
it honestly makes me emotional when I'm there in the moment. And, you know, we started out at the beginning of the year and students are very shy, not able to talk, um, you know, don't want to come into a fishbowl that they don't know if they they don't (laughs) smile. Um, I mean, I'll just go ahead and share one instance that's super important to me. Um, We do a um, one of our programs is centered around fishbowls. And essentially that is uh, an activity where they share about their identities. And we didn't used to have one for queer students, but we were serving queer students. in 2019, we started, we added a queer fishbowl and just seeing those students being able to come into that space and talk about their experiences that, you know, they have growing into themselves and, you know, the experiences that they have at their schools was impactful then. But this year we decided to actually do it twice. We did it once at the beginning of the year and once about six months later on our journey. And to see that fishbowl start out with two students actually at first. And then during the conversation, a couple more came in and to do it on the journey. And we had about nine or 10 students sitting there and they're like, in this time, like I've become more comfortable with myself. Like I know myself better because of this program and also the students, like my peers that I'm here with. I cried a little bit after I didn't cry in front of them, but that's just something that like, it's invaluable. And uh, so many kids don't get that in high school. And so I think us being able to, impact more students, um, not only with um, our main curriculum, but just giving them community and allowing them to build relationships with other kids that are like them and also not like them in so many ways is just amazing. That's so powerful. You're inviting people to be who they truly are. Exactly. Absolutely. And and hearing from one of the alumni, like having the queer fishbowl save their life. Mm-hmm. Like they they were depressed and you know they were in a deep dark space and having the opportunity to be in a community where they felt as though they could open up um, and have that conversation and and there was no judgment, there was no negativity. Um, it, it took them out of that that space and and saved them. Hmm. That's beautiful. It's really it's that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for listening. That's literally, I I just, I love that story so much. I will always tell it. What is your, um, we talk a lot about, um, you know, last week with Tim on the podcast, he was talking about, um, you know, really getting the value proposition down for nonprofits mm-hmm. can be something that is, is challenging because when we're emotionally invested in a cause, we want to, obviously we want to share mm-hmm. and tell, you know, tell people all of the things that we do. Mm-hmm. But if you were in an elevator with a, just an individual. <laughs> like, what, what would your elevator pitch be for cultural leadership? What's that value proposition? Well, no, so um, cultural leadership empowers communities to come together um, and bridge racial divides um, through immersive uh, experiences and opportunities. And that is kind of my elevator pitch. So that is one that's off the top of that's my head. That's good. I like that. <laughs> what do you hope people gain? from a conversation with you personally? Well, I hope people gain um, from conversation with me, I think a a better sense of self um, and I want them to leave feeling or comfortable and confident and positive in who they are and what they do. I love it. How about you, Stephanie? Out of a conversation with me, I would hope that people feel accepted um, and they feel open and that, they felt heard, whatever the conversation um, is regarding. Um, I would hope that 
from whatever I shared, maybe they feel inspired and um, maybe even connected. Maybe there's um, an action item <laughs> at the end of it, whether it's, you know, us connecting further or me connecting them with something that, um, you know, inspires them or connects with their passion. I think that that'd be a great impact for me in the conversation. So Tamika, let's talk a little bit about where this social justice, you know, through cultural leadership is headed. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, your vision. Like Absolutely. What's, what's, what are we building on and from? Um, so as an organization, we were initially uh, launched as a high school program. So we were a program with a nonprofit, and now we're transitioning to a nonprofit with programs. And what that looks like is internal and external programming. And so internally, we will still hold true to that, you know, life-changing high school programming that's year-long, where we take a 21-day trip to Washington, D.C. and speak with, you know, justices and Congress people and partner with Brookings Institute and do other things. Um, and then, like, tour the South and go to New York, New York and all the things. Um, but we're also launching a year-long middle school program because we find that, Reaching out to students um, even younger helps prevent them from developing those kind of negative senses of self and negative perspectives surrounding their peers and communities um, later and um, helping prepare them with the tools to combat you know, racism, anti-Semitism, bias, um, recognizing their own bias, um, even prevent, even preparing them with the tools to combat uh, bullying in school and, you know, motivating their peers to um, do more positive things. Um, it, it, it boasts better for the future. And so we're launching a year-long middle school program um, along with some middle school camp sessions internally. Um, next year and then we're also pushing into schools and school districts um, externally and partnering with organizations that have similar missions to provide some education um, and leadership training for um, the students who are kind of connected to them uh, and then eat you know, in 2024, we're going to be launching an internship program, a paid internship program for college students. Um, and what that looks like is we are partnering with organizations and nonprofits to, you know, host them as paid interns while we provide DEI and leadership training um, and encourage them to come back to St. Louis following graduation and connecting them with companies that may provide them with uh, job opportunities hmm. after they graduate from college so they can start bringing that talent back to the St. Louis region sure. um, and, and, and building, I'm sorry, and um, building into the St. Louis region and closing that racial divide that we have. Um, we're also adding a corporate aspect uh, in 2024 where we'll be working with corporations to provide some of the educational pieces that that's, we provide to our students. That's awesome. That yeah. was my subsequent question is if I'm not a student, how do I, how do I you know, glean insights and gain knowledge yeah. from cultural leadership. So yeah. it's, it's that. Absolutely. Because it's important to kind of touch in all the ways. So we're touching the, you know, the students, we're touching college um, age students, we're touching their parents, we're touching, you know, corporations, we're, we're coming at it from multiple um, aspects and multiple directions uh, because it's a lot of work that needs to be done and we can't, get that work done and it won't happen if we focus on just a small group we've got to we've really got to expand it but um all while staying true to the core of who we are and what we do so we're going to be encouraging social change bringing people together building bridges um and really just making st louis better that's awesome i think that with 
all of the growing that we're doing um, and the multiple touch points that we have, we really have a chance to change just how DEI is, DEI training is um, accepted and understood in the United States. I mean, in St. Louis, but I think in the United States long term. Like in um, the universe. In the universe, <laughs> because I mean, we are so unique. I know that I believe that in my core. Um, we've had several adults tell us that they would rather sit through one of our programs than <laughs> the trainings that they go through at work. And I think just having that sort of insight and um, having a diverse team of facilitators, having um, alumni who are all over the place and involved in so many different things and um, are spread across so many different career fields. We have voices in a lot of different places. And so whether, you know, you're at a law firm and you are more responsive to people who speak more like you, just like a criminal justice lawyer, whoever that might be, we have connections um, with people like that. Whether you're looking for someone in the medical field, we have alumni who are there. And so as we bring our alumni back together, as we build our community, I think the possibilities are endless. Um, so I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. <laughs> it's all about building community. Mm -hmm. I have I have a follow-up question to that. And I think this is um, this is a, of critical importance. You know, you mentioned that you bumped your operational budget by 25%. Obviously, you need funding to be able to to you know bring these resources to the community and to do more work. Um, and to hire more staff to then go out and, you know, to not only be trained on your processes, but then to go and implement those, you know, in these various schools and these communities that they're going to be serving. Where is this money coming from? How can the community help you? You know, if you have listeners that want to get involved, uh, maybe give us an idea of like, where's your money currently coming from? Are you grant funded, foundation funded, individual donor funded, um, corporate, you know, corporate funded, maybe a combination. And like, what would you love to see? Like, where are you building towards? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are funded in all the ways, right? In all those ways. And we actually are transitioning um, to more donor-based fundraising. Um, and so we've built a portfolio for grantors. So we are applying for grants. So some of the funding comes that way. Um, we've got some really dedicated um, donors who've been with us really since inception um, for 18, 15 to 18 years, who've been funding the work that we do. Um, we've got corporate partners. Uh, Nestle has been an incredible partner to us um, and a few others over the last, you know, over the years. And so it's coming in all those ways. I think um, as we adjust our product mix, meaning kind of how we are getting funding um, via the external and internal programming, um, I think We'll be reaching out to some corporate partners to say, hey, you know, let's talk about what it looks like for us to come in and do some training for your staff. Um, we'll be connecting with, um, you know, some some school districts and and others to talk about what it looks like to um, to bring cultural leadership to them um, and to uh, pull even more of their students into what we do. Um, and so I think those are those are some ways. And of course, you know. Fund is not always like we accept checks, credit cards, cash, <laughs> stock payments. <laughs> Love it. Sweat equity. Right. Someone to come in. Volunteers. And, volunteers. <laughs> someone to come in and sweep the floors and take the trash hello, out. So hello. You can focus on more strategy. <laughs> yeah. And we do have like more fun opportunities for volunteering as well because we, we do need people from the community to come and kind of help with um, some of our programming and that our students are – 
learning how to do um, speech writing in there, learning how to do public speaking. Um, and so having people from the community partner with them as they create their speeches and, and you know, for our middle school uh, students, they're doing a capstone project. So having, you know, partners come in and kind of pair with them and help them with that are also some good opportunities, I think, to connect to the kids and it's our mission and what we do. Anything else? Development well, management? We'll also be looking for mentors for the college internship program. Um, and we have a friends community that we are launching yes. um, going into the next year, which will essentially help us um, raise awareness about our organization. And in 2024, um, own our trivia night. But um, yeah, I think that'll help you all connect with more people who um, I think you'd probably like to know and also connect with our program. We're a fun group. We're a fun group. We're fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's show everybody how fun you are with our rapid fire round. Okay. Right. okay. What is something that you've always wanted to learn? Oh, how to sing. <laughs> give, a, give us a, a sample. Oh, I would break your microphone. Just serenade the audience. It's all, it's all right. It's probably oh, only my grandma Lord. watching right now. Oh, hey, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I've always wanted to learn how to play the guitar. Actually, I do sing a little, but I I always joke that like my dream job would be to be, a, don't ask me why, a starving country artist in Nashville. I don't know why I'm starving in this dream, but <laughs> if I could do anything, I'd be a country artist. Because it's random. you've never shied away from overcoming adversity. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just want to say that she could definitely do this and she could have Beyonce support because they met Girl, before. stop. But I'm going to leave that there. I would, I've always wanted to learn aerial arts, um, like silks and stuff. Yeah. So okay. I'll play the guitar while you, you know, yes. do aerial. Sidebar conversation. Have you thought about sending Beyonce a video? <laughs> Will she get it? I don't know. Like her, it might not go through her. But I, maybe. I don't know. Find like the I most, what are the most important things? What are the most, the things that are most meaningful to her? And then how can mm. we figure out a way to add value into her life in ways that, you know, somebody else has not? Okay. We, Joey, we're going to hire you. Yeah. Seriously. So, so just like a quick, a very quick story. Um, so there was someone that I heard keynote at an event. And his name was Jeff Hoffman. And, uh, and we'll come right back to the rapid fire round, but I feel like this is topical and, mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, we have these limiting self-beliefs that are like, Hey, I'm not going to reach out to this individual because they have more important people in their network that, you know, are vying for their time and who the heck am I anyway? Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So I heard this gentleman keynote at an event and uh, he talked about resonant frequency and for him, resonant frequency was when everything is in balance in your life, your personal life, your emotional life, your spiritual life, your business, like everything is just harmoniously firing on all cylinders. And he related it back to how when he was driving his Ferrari that he was finally able to buy, that it was firing on all cylinders. And at 60 miles per hour, the Ferrari went dead silent on the highway. And he's like, oh my God, I thought it was broken. I brought it back to the dealership. And they said, no, it's it's actually made to function that way. It goes completely quiet at a certain mile per hour because it's in harmony. Everything in that car is like precision engineered so that when everything's in harmony, it's just absolutely flawless and perfect in that moment. And um, anyway, his his mother, he he was sharing the story of when he was a kid in downtown Chicago and he first saw a Ferrari and he pointed to the car and his mom, single mom, raising an only child, said, you're never going to have a car like that normal anybody that you ever know. And after he sold Priceline, uh, in 2012 or 13, he bought that car. Um, so anyway, I got his information, took a picture with him. I sent it to his personal email address. He forwarded that to his VA, his virtual assistant. 
And I said, what's the most important thing to Jeff? I'd imagine it's his Ferrari. And she said, yes. So I happened to have a, um, a friend of mine who owned a detail shop in Pennsylvania. I called that friend and I said, please connect with the personal assistant. I don't care what it costs. Go to his house and detail his Ferrari for him. So he did and buffed it and you know, waxed it and cleaned it inside and out. And, it, and, and anyway, so Jeff got the message that this guy that saw you at an event had your car detailed for you. And so anyway, he ended up reaching out to me the following day and said, I don't know who you are. I don't know why you did this, but you've got two hours of my time. I'm flying you to Chicago. And, uh, and so he's been mentoring me ever since. So now he's, you know, he's been mentoring me for four to five years. And so I think about the story's not about me. The story's about how can we find unique, interesting ways to add value to people that don't care about us, but we care so much about them. Mm -hmm. And you feel like if you can just figure out a way to add value to that person, they might start to care about the things that, you know, you're creating in your life. And it's Zig Ziglar's quote is, you can get anything out of, out of your life that you want if you help enough others get what they want. Um, so how can we do that for Beyonce? You're right. Or Oprah. Or Oprah. <laughs> Thank you. So back to rapid fire. Okay. What kind of music do you listen to? Every- I have to thank Lachlan, by the way, for these rapid fire questions. He Good job, Lachlan. Um, I actually listen to everything with except for like heavy metal. I listen to everything else, though. I listen to everything, but favorites are um, 90s R&B and Afrobeats. What would you say your irrational fear is? I have a fear of heights. Um, and I tried to overcome the fear of heights one time. Yeah, I'm with you. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to do this and I'm going to go to Miami and like go parasailing. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but it didn't work. Um, and now I still won't get on the Ferris wheel downtown. What is waiting for you on the other side of that fear? I have no idea. <laughs> How about you, Stephanie? What's your irrational fear? Spiders. Feet? Okay. <laughs> Just everything about it. Um, Last words of wisdom, parting advice that you want to leave the audience with. Um, I think for me, it would be go for your passion, not for the money. Mm-hmm. So the, the money will come um, when you're living your passion. Get to know the people that you spend the most amount of time with. And that's all. <laughs> and also kind of like get to know the people that you don't spend time with. Yeah. Learn about people that you don't know. Absolutely. Don't look like you who aren't in your circle and who could have absolutely nothing in common with you. Yeah. I think just going back to our conversations piece, um, I don't think there's any reason why you should be spending 40 hours a week with people that you don't really know more than their first name. So, and I think that that will be a benefit to the workplace and I mean, you personally as a human. So that's a great place to leave it. uh, That's worth a mic drop on episode six. Thank you both so much for joining (laughs) us today. Uh, Tamika Perrine, Stephanie Briggs, cultural leadership. Thank you both so much. Hey, if this episode was valuable to you, then uh, share it with someone that you love, someone that you know that could benefit from it. Also, be sure to subscribe. And depending on how you're listening, go ahead and leave a comment or review. This will help ensure that we are connecting with other nonprofit leaders so that we can get this critical information out to them. And if your company is in the early or even late stages of putting on an event, go to our website, utopiaexperience.com and click the book us tab and schedule a free discovery call to see if our services would be a right fit for your event. And even if they're not, that's okay. I promise you our expertise can steer you in the right direction so you'll get value either way. Thanks for listening to the Impact Roadmap and we'll see you next time.